If you've been going around the good old internet looking for the right podcast to fulfill your New York Yankees needs, well, I'll be the first to deliver the good news to you. You have found it. Here on Yapping Yankees with me, your host, Mike Scudero, you and I will be discussing the latest news, takes, and talk throughout the entire Yankee universe. Oh, and there may be some ranting on my behalf. Yeah. Anyway, what do you say we get to it? Let's get to yapping! Good afternoon to my fellow Yankee fans, and welcome to episode 51 of the Yapping Yankees podcast, where we yap about the Yanks and nothing but the Yanks. As always, I am your host, Mike Scudero, here on this beautiful Sunday, June 14th, 2020. Let's get things started by, as always, giving our shout-out to the Team Left Jab United Radio Network, as well as Grunt Talks MLB. First up, as always, Team Left Jab. They feature Team Left Jab Uncensored and the Team Left Jab United Radio Network. Be sure to go follow Team Left Jab on all social media platforms at Team Left Jab and check out their great sports content across anywhere that you find podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Blog Talk Radio, you name it, the list goes on. Be sure to check out Team Left Jab. And our other shout out goes to Grunt Talks MLB. Visit their website grunttalksmlb.com to see all of their baseball content and see where they feature Yapping Yankees. Also be sure to follow the man B behind the website, Darren on Twitter at YankeesReport28. Special thanks to Darren and Grunt Talks MLB, as well as Team Left Jab for helping spread the word every week about yapping Yankees. And also as a reminder, guys, be sure to follow me on all social medias. You can find me on Facebook at Mike Scudero NY on my fan page there. You can find me on Twitter at Mike Scudero and on my Instagram at MikeScuds97. And of course, when you see me post the podcast on all my social media platforms, please give it a like, a retweet, a share, and just be sure to continue to help spread the word about the podcast, guys. You know, I appreciate it so, so much. But what a week it has been, guys. I do hope you've all continued to stay safe out there. First off, I wanted to thank all of you for bearing with me for yet another very long but very fun episode last weekend filled with much ranting. Last week was the landmark episode 50 for Yapping Yankees. Got all good feedback, which is much appreciated. I can't thank you guys enough, as always. And now another Sunday has arrived and another episode has come your way today. Episode 51. And this week, we'll see if I can finish in under an hour or two. <laughs> I should have known since last week's episode was a landmark episode that it was going to be one of my longest ones, but I've got a fun one planned yet again for you today. Our main topics on the table today are obviously the poll for this week, as usual, the three draft picks the Yankees selected in the MLB draft this past week. We'll discuss their first round pick a bit and then mention their other two picks in the third and fourth rounds. And then we'll talk about the three proposals put forth between the league and the Players Association this past week. The league proposed two, and the Players Association proposed one. And we're going to run through all of those, and I'll be sure to give my official take on what I feel is in baseball's future in 2020 at this point, since as of this week, it would seem the picture has become clearer for reasons that I shall mention later in MLB News, and actually in a couple of minutes too, because the poll question subject has to do with one of those reasons. But there are also a couple of other little side stories that were mentioned that I'm not going to dedicate legitimate time to today because there isn't really much substance to them. I'll discuss them now really quick, but one of them happens to be something about a sealed letter with plaintiffs having to do with the Yankees involved in sign stealing in 2017. 
And of course, right away when you hear about sign-stealing taking place in 2017, your mind drifts right to the Houston Astros. And again, there's not much to this, especially since we already know the Yankees received a fine because of misuse of the dugout phone way back when, and that's really all the league found at the time. The dugout phone situation happened in 2015 or 2016. We've already been over all of that. Rothschild used the bullpen phone to find out if a pitch was a ball or a strike, and he did so by using the dugout phone to call the video replay room. It was a pretty minor violation, and the Yankees were fined for it. And then, as of yesterday, again, there was some word about plaintiffs in a sealed letter that a federal judge ordered to be unsealed. It was confidential by law between Manfred and the Yankees. It was a letter from Manfred to the Yankees having to do with their dugout phone violation years ago. But people want to know if those plaintiffs contain any more information about the Yankees potentially partaking in a bigger sign-stealing scandal, like that of the Astros and even the Red Sox, even though the Red Sox scandal was on a lesser scale than the Astros as we know. And the articles discussing it poke at the possibility of certain other names being mentioned, I think, within the letter, and that the letter can damage their reputation. So that had a lot of people thinking that those plaintiffs were really sketchy, and they wanted to know if the Yankees were involved in anything bigger. And I read through the articles about this, and right now, it still doesn't appear to be very much other than what we already know. But I will say this much, because you know I'm fair and balanced on here, despite how much I ripped the Astros and the Red Sox, and I always cover everything there is to cover, and in a fair and balanced manner, as you know. And they deserved to be ripped, of course, but I'll tell you this, too. You've heard me have no problem with ripping the Yankees in the past. Hell, I did it last week when they released 45 minor leaguers when they more than could have afforded to pay them for the rest of the year. Yes, I'm still upset about that. Especially when much smaller market teams took care of their own minor leaguers. And if you didn't hear that rant from last week, be sure to go check out last week's episode of Yapping Yankees, episode 50. And guess what? Nothing would change here if any more information is to come out going forward about the Yankees taking part in a massive sign-stealing scheme. One that goes beyond simple misuse of dugout phones, which, again, they were already fined for, then they deserve to be ripped from all sides, and they deserve to be punished. We're not hypocritical here on Yapping Yankees, and I will be the first in line right here on Yapping Yankees to rip them to shreds because they would deserve it for partaking in such things, like the Astros and the Red Sox did. But this story was released very very early yesterday morning, and at that time, there wasn't much to go on other than just there being some intrigue about this letter, especially Yankee haters, because of course they want to come out and say, ah, the Yankees cheated too, and all of that. But then, on the contrary, you also had many other parts throughout the articles basically saying there's not much to the story other than what we already know about the dugout phone's violation, and they don't think much is going to come of this. But I also didn't want to completely ignore it and act as if this situation wasn't happening, because that also wouldn't be right. This is Yapping Yankees, and I always make sure to cover everything with the Yankees or anything that majorly affects them, as you well know. Then fast forward to later in the day yesterday, Andy Martino, who covers the Yanks and the Mets, as well as Major League Baseball overall for SNY, had multiple sources confirm that the letter from Manfred to the Yankees, in fact, did not mention the Yankees allegedly stealing signs in any major sign-stealing scheme after all. He even wrote an article about it and posted it to his Twitter, so check out Andy Martino's Twitter if you want to read about that. So, it would seem there was nothing beyond the dugout phone instance after all. Now, in the case that any other information surfaces down the road about the Yankees partaking in such a thing as elaborate as the Astros, you know, as I said earlier, and many times in the past, that they fully deserve to be punished. I want to highlight that. And again, I'll be first in line to rip them for it right here on Yapping Yankees, just as I ripped Houston.
Houston and Boston, because I hate cheaters, regardless of who it is. But we'll see what happens with this as time goes on. If you want to read more about all of this, though, there are plenty of sites with articles on this, The Athletic being one of them. And we'll see within the next couple of weeks, maybe, if anything else is to come of this, or if it stays as Andy Martino and others who cover Major League Baseball says it is, according to multiple sources, that it is, in fact, nothing that we don't already know. It's just about the dugout phone violation. That as of this moment, early Sunday, June 14th, as I'm recording this episode, again, it's only a about the dugout phone violation. I want to make that clear as of now, and that the letter contains nothing about the Yankees stealing signs in 2017, especially not anything like on the scale of the Houston Astros. But I must say, it was pretty amusing, however, to see those shameful snakes in the likes of Bregman and Correa reacting right away to it yesterday, acting all happy about a brand new report at the time early yesterday that contained no definite info in it beyond a headline that made it seem like the Yankees were caught doing something as a elaborate as they themselves did in 2017, but I guess I'd do the same thing as them if I were still on a high from being granted immunity the way that they were in their scandal, but as Andy Martino and others say, and I'll repeat again, the letter so far has amounted to nothing beyond the dugout phone violation that resulted in that fine, and this whole situation will probably also continue to amount to nothing. I hope that this can all serve as the ultimate reminder to both read beyond headlines and and to be patient for the proper information and or evidence to surface. Otherwise, you just make yourself look stupid. So again, if anything else comes of this situation, we'll continue discussion on it next week and the weeks to follow. However, right now, it seems that according to multiple sources, again, the letter says nothing about the Yankees being involved in any sort of elaborate sign-stealing scheme, okay? But anyway... Speaking of sign stealing, which you guys know I'm just so tired of this subject after everything that happened with the Astros and the Red Sox months ago, but the other story was basically something the whole baseball community already knew, but now has been confirmed, or maybe not since he's proven to be such a skilled liar so far, but Alex Cora went to the media and said that the Astros scandal wasn't just a two-man operation and that basically everyone was guilty. Yeah, mister, we're gonna go by what the official reports say, and then he admits this. Can't have it both ways, Alex, and it really just goes to show how skilled some people are at lying. But for some reason, I do believe him with this because it seemed obvious that everyone was involved, basically, at the time. And it also still has me believing my original claim about the Red Sox situation, that it wasn't just their video guy being the main perpetrator behind that whole scheme. I still think he was just the fall guy. And that more people knew about that in the Boston clubhouse than was let on, especially the manager, Alex Cora. But again, like the other story about the sealed letter, I did want to at least mention these two stories today, but not spend entire segments on them because one doesn't have all that much to go on as of yet. And it sounds to me like it might not even have much to go on in the coming weeks, but if it does, we'll be right here to discuss it. And the other pretty much confirms information that everybody was already suspicious of and that we already knew. So that's that, guys. But again, other than those couple of brief stories happening right now, we got the poll today, which we'll get to in just a minute. We got some quick Yankees draft pick discussion, mainly on their first round pick. And then what else has happened 
happened this past week regarding baseball coming back this year. So here is this week's poll question without any further delay. And as always, we will start on Twitter. And the poll question is, at this point, with still no agreement, do you believe we're going to get the 48-54 to game shortened season implemented by Manfred, who of course is the commissioner, and to give me your thoughts below for your shout-out on the podcast. Now, the two choices to choose from were, yes, we are going to get the 48-54 to game shortened season implemented by Manfred, or no, that people are still holding out hope that an agreement between the two sides would come about. And yes, I know what you're thinking. Last night, and we're going to get to this later on too in MLB News, but last night, the Major League Baseball Players Association did announce that they will not be negotiating any further, so it would seem like this will be implemented. So, of course, those who chose yes are likely going to be correct for this question. But this poll was put out prior to that announcement of them being done negotiating, so that's why I put this question out. It was a very good question at the time, and I'm glad that it ended up being the question because it ended up being answered later yesterday anyway. Because if the two sides are are truly done negotiating, I don't really see how it's possible that any other outcome could come about other than Manfred implementing the shortened season. And of course, Manfred did say he would do this if the two sides couldn't reach an agreement because he said, regardless, we are going to get baseball in 2020. So this is the bare minimum. And since it seems like the two sides are done negotiating with one another, it seems like this is what's going to have to happen, that Manfred will implement the shortened season. So again, the two choices are yes, you think that the 48-54 to game shortened season will be implemented or no, that you were still at the time holding out hope. And the choice of yes, that people do think that the shortened season will be implemented was victorious by earning 60% of the vote and 40% of people were still at the time holding out hope that the two sides could come to an agreement for more games to be played. And as I said before, it does seem like the 60% who voted for yes, it would seem like at this point point, you would be correct because it seems like that is the only route to go down if we are to get baseball this year. So let's get down to those replies and see what people are thinking. We'll probably read about 15 to 20 replies on here before moving on to Instagram. But first up today, we have at Laura underscore Iceman and Laura says, yup, with how the negotiations are going, it's looking like Manfred will get his way. It is what it is. Well, yeah, at the time, it definitely did look that way, and especially when the Players Association officially announced that they will not counter with an offer after the most recent proposal that I will tell you about in MLB News that came out on Friday, it really seemed to be that way, that the only way we get baseball is through Manfred's implementation of the 48-54 to game shortened season. Up next, we have at MJ Torres 1230, and he says, if it's not at least 70 games, it's a tournament and not a baseball season. Well, I myself actually did say, if you listen to prior episodes of Yapping Yankees, I brought up the idea, if a season is to be this short, about 48 to 54 games, I brought up the idea of maybe even having like just like an exhibition tournament or something silly like that. I don't know. I was just spitting ideas out, but obviously I'm not the only one saying that, so I guess it is somewhat plausible, (laughs) I suppose. But yeah, I think it's safe to say at this point we're not getting at least 70 games. At Bobby Tat 631 says, I'm still staying positive we'll get a season in the 70 to 75 game range, but by the end of the week, I can see myself just wanting the 48 to 54 game season just to have baseball back. That's what it's about, giving the fans the game we love. 
Well, yeah, a lot of people have just been turned off to getting baseball back at this point because of everything that took place between the owners and the Players Association, of course, for these last few weeks on end. It just seems like a never-ending, exhausting saga, the back and forth between the two sides. But yeah, at the end of the day, of course, 48 to 54 games would still be baseball, but obviously 70 to 75 games, maybe even 81, so you could have perfectly a half a season of what would be a full season, which of course, as we know, is 162 games. But if we had 81, that would do very nicely to just have half the season, have it be nice and even. And of course, it would be a lot more games than just 48 to 54. But it would seem right now, guys, this is just the hand we've been dealt. Up next, we have at MountainGal456 saying, Yup, I have a feeling that's what will happen, Mike. Be prepared for a strike in the future, too. Oh, God, I hope not. We've spoken a ton about the risk of a strike being in baseball in the coming years when the next CBA comes up next year, when the negotiation happen for that. We'll see how those go. Many people anticipate those going disastrously because of the current tensions between the owners and the players. But yeah, as I've said in past weeks, I wouldn't be surprised if a strike happens, but I'm just going to pray that it doesn't because right now, after everything that's happened, that would be the absolute last thing that the sport would need. So let's just pray that that doesn't happen. Up next, we have at peace now for life says, I say we'll get whatever Manford implements at this point. Time is not on their side for much more time at this point. So disappointing that the two sides cannot come to an agreement. Well, that's what happens when greed triumphs, and yeah, it is absolutely disappointing, especially for us fans. It was the constant back and forth between the two sides, but what about the third side, us? And I know that might sound selfish, but we are here as the main source of profit, the fans, and it really is disappointing from the outside perspective seeing greed triumph and seeing these two sides going back and forth for endless amounts of weeks and still not reaching an agreement with, as you say, basically no time left. Especially now that the Players Association made their announcement late yesterday that they're not going to counter with another proposal and they're basically done negotiating. They've just had enough. Especially with how they've been painted in a bad light throughout this whole thing through the media and all of how public the whole thing has been. It's just been a mess, as you well know, if you've been following it as closely as I've been. But yeah, at this point, I think it's plenty obvious that we're just going to be getting the shortened season implemented by Manfred. I think that much is obvious at this point. At EdNYC73 says, Looks like we will get a 48-54 to game season after all. I'll take it as long as we can get to watch baseball. Well, yeah, at the end of the day, it may not be what everybody wants, but ultimately, it is still baseball. Just much less of it because of greed, pretty much. At Julian Guillarte, one says, Yes, I've been optimistic, but this is a clown show, and that's exactly what will happen. And yeah, Julian, I know you and I have been following this closer than almost anybody other than legitimate MLB officials, but I know how disheartened you are about the whole thing because I am equally as disheartened about it as you are. We've been following it so closely, and we've been holding out hope throughout this whole thing while also being angry about everything that's been happening throughout the whole situation. But it just seems now you and I have just both accepted the fact that it's probably Probably just going to be the 48 to 54 game implemented season by Manfred. Really is a shame because if not for greed, we probably could have gotten more. I think it's just, we're just both disheartened at this point. As are many other people, and understandably so, completely understandably so. People are just fed up about the whole thing, and they're frustrated and angry, as am I. As I've expressed plenty on this podcast the last few weeks. But let's keep going here. Up next, we have at Laker 477, and he says, No, I am still hopeful for at least 70 to 75 games. I will not panic. 
<laughs> All right, fair enough. That is really his thing on Twitter saying, I will not panic. I love that. It's so funny. <laughs> but I, I respect it. Listen, some people were still holding out hope, and I respect that. I do. The showcase of optimism is admirable, especially when it just seems like there's nothing good that's going to come of a certain situation. At official 52011 says, if that was the last proposal given, then yes. But if there will be another proposal, then I'll hope not. But for the sake of this poll, I chose yes. I honestly don't think there's going to be another proposal, especially because now, in hindsight, later on in the day yesterday, the Players Association basically said, give us your answer about what we're going to do by Monday, which is tomorrow. So I don't really think there's going to be another proposal since they already announced that they're basically done negotiating with the league. So I definitely understand why you chose yes, we're just going to get that shortened season. At Jake Rep NY says, yes, players aren't agreeing to anything. <laughs> Neither side's agreeing to anything. It's been a mess. Completely unwilling to compromise. Either side. At Java 31 says, they have to find a way to recoup some of that money lost, unless they lose some fans. Well, I think they'll lose some fans as a result of how exhausting and how insufferable this round of negotiations were between the owners and the players, but I think most of them will just be casuals. I don't really know what some of the diehards plan on doing. I'll always have to at least watch baseball at the bare minimum because not only is it my heart and I can't tear myself away, but I plan on talking about this for a living, so I can't really do anything about that. But I don't know what some of the other diehards plan on doing. Maybe they plan on just dropping the sport. Maybe they'll stick around no matter what. But I definitely think that it's very possible baseball can lose a lot of its casual fans, which of course, and it goes without saying, is the exact opposite of what they want because they had their whole mantra to grow the game before all this stuff started, implementing all their little rules in the game to make it more attractive and to attract other demographics of fans to baseball. And now these negotiations have done quite the opposite. At Beth underscore Wellington says, yes, and then I think there will be a strike when the CBA expires. Well, Beth, it's definitely a possibility, and as you know, you are not the first one to say that. Then we had my girlfriend at Vic Salimo says, yup, that's the tweet. <laughs> Simple enough. I respect that. <laughs> People are just so fed up with the whole thing. At TJT Whitting here says, yes, seems we are running out of time, especially if they want to end the season early. Well, yeah, they definitely expressed interest with ending the season at the time it normally would, around the end of September, and if there is to be a postseason, we don't really know if there will be, depending on whether there's a second wave of this virus or not that prevents it from happening, but if there is a postseason, they would want that ending around the same timeline as a normal year two, which, as we all know, the postseason usually ends around late October, and that's what they would want for this season as well. And as we discussed last week, starting around the 4th of July is basically dead, as we already established, and the earliest they could hope to start now with any regular season is probably around mid-July, maybe? So yeah, they wasted their time. They really did. At Gary5734-5359 says, Both sides are being selfish and not thinking of us fans. Yes, not their fault that a virus screwed it all up, but being a huge baseball fan, this is disheartening, period. I completely agree, and you know that I've echoed much of the same sentiment on the past few recent weeks of Yapping Yankees throughout this entire negotiation saga when I've been covering everything having to do with it all. And yeah, it's extremely disheartening, and although you know that I do side with one side over the other, my middle-of-the-road approach, as I've echoed many times, does say that there's a lot of selfishness and greed in all areas areas of this thing, and that's what really prevented us from getting more than just this 48-54 to 54 game season that's likely to be implemented by Manfred in the coming days. 
and it really, really is a shame. They dropped the ball, pun intended, I guess. <laughs> so we'll read one more reply here before moving on to Instagram. We'll finish things off on Twitter here with at bottom line WMCX. And they say, I've been so optimistic that we were going to get an agreement. But after seeing rejection after rejection after rejection, all because of the salary, by the way, Manfred better do his job and implement the 48 to 50 game season, whether the players like it or not. And of course, that's really what the whole thing was based on. It was all about the money. And yeah, man, if you listen to the show, if you see my tweets and everything, you'll know that I held out optimism for a very long time too before every single proposal. And like you, my hope just seemed to dwindle after each rejection of each proposal up to the point where we are right now. And it seems like the only thing left, as you say, is to just implement the season, which will probably happen because Manfred did vow that we will get baseball this year, but it'll probably be this very shortened season and for those 50 or so games. Since the Players Association did want their full prorated salaries and the only proposal in which the owners proposed that, that the players do earn their full prorated salaries, is if they played around 50 games. So that is probably what Manfred will instill because that is the only instance in which the owners offer the full prorated salaries, and of course upon receiving that, although the Players Association would have liked more games, they would be receiving what they were so relentless on sticking with throughout these negotiations, and that would be the full prorated pay. They simply just would not take anything under that. And again, we're going to be talking about all of this in MLB News later when we talk about everything that took place in this whole saga throughout this past week. But for now, that's all for today with the replies. As always, thank you all for the poll interactions on there. Again, if I didn't get to you, I do apologize, but always just keep trying every week in the replies, and I'll definitely get to you most weeks. I do my best. Let's head on to Instagram before we wrap up this week's poll segment. Of course, the same question applies, and that question is, at this point, with still no agreement, do you believe we're just going to get the 48-54 to 54 game shortened season implemented by Manfred? And like on Twitter, the choice of yes is victorious by earning 67% of the vote and 33% of those of you who voted on Instagram voted for the choice of no, that they are still hoping for things to be better and have more games played than the 48 to 54 in 2020. So on Twitter, the choice of yes was victorious by earning 60% of the vote and the choice of yes was victorious here by earning 67 And on Twitter, the choice of no lost by earning 40% of the vote, and it lost here on Instagram by earning 33%. So the results were close, but the winning result was the same on both platforms this week. Clearly, most people just feel that at this point, it is going to be the 48-54 to game shortened season implemented by Commissioner Manfred, and that's how we're going to get baseball this year. So let's read the couple of replies here on Instagram before moving on to Yankees news today. And the first reply on Instagram that I will read today is from my good friend James Celestin, who on Instagram is known as the Dark Knight 025, and you may know him as at BlackRebirth52 on Yankees Twitter. And James says, I want better. I hope for better. Manfred is the worst commissioner in sports. 54 games is a joke. Get it done. Both sides are being ridiculous. Get it done. Well, Lord knows that's exactly what I had been saying for weeks and weeks and weeks here on this very show about just getting it done and how they're all just being so ridiculous, even though, again, I did choose one side over the other. 
And as you know, I did take the side of the players, although I do admit that the middle of the road approach highlights that there is just greed everywhere. And again, 54 games, which I'm not even sure it's going to be that many. I keep on hearing, I'm just saying 48 to 54 because that's really the window I've heard, but it really sounds like 48 to 50 is really more realistic. I'm saying 48 to 54 for the most part, just to cover the base of every rumor I've heard about the amount of games it would be if Manfred were to implement the shortened season. So I'm just covering my bases. And while 54 games isn't a lot. It is still baseball, but I do understand the frustration because I share in that frustration that we could have gotten more if greed wasn't the only path taken here, and that's why it's frustrating. So I understand. While around 50 games is still baseball, you'll still be able to turn on your television and watch baseball, and believe me, the owners want you to turn on your TV considering that's where they're getting much of their money from, but you'll still be able to turn on your television and watch baseball However, I do see the other side of it too when people get so frustrated that we could have gotten so much more if it weren't just for greed. And they're right. So I can't blame you, James, but it really looks like it's just not going to get done and we're going to get that shortened season. Up next is Richard Chin, and he says it really depends on if that was the last proposal. If that was the last proposal, then yes. If that wasn't the last one, then I think that there's still hope. But I do think eventually the commissioner will implement the shortened season if they won't agree to any more proposals in the future. Well, yeah, that's a pretty good answer, especially considering now it seems like there won't be any future proposals since the association is not countering the league's latest one from Friday and they're just done negotiating. So we'll see. And as always, let's finish up with my mom, always replying to the polls each week, of course. One of my biggest supporters, if not my biggest, that goes without saying. I love you, mom. We'll finish off with you on Instagram today as we usually do. And my mom says, I think that's what we're getting. We, the fans, seem to be paying for their greed. But let's see who pays next year. I say no one go to any stadiums. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. I love the baseball players, and I'm so sorry that they have the worst owners as their employers. These owners have tarnished the game. I'll be happy for any baseball, so bring on the two and a half games for all I care. (laughs) So I understand that, Mom. It really is, for the most part, on the owners for tarnishing baseball as they have. But in the same token, still saying that, hey, even two and a half games is still baseball, so bring it on. (laughs) I respect everything you had to say. Great reply. So with that being said, those are this week's replies for the poll on Twitter and Instagram. As always, I want to thank you guys so much for taking time to join in on the fun with this week's Yapping Yankees poll. You know I greatly appreciate all the interactions, guys, and you know the drill. If I wasn't able to get to you this week on either platform, just keep on replying to the polls each week, and I'll definitely get to your response on another poll in the future. As I always say, unfortunately, it's not easy to always get to everybody, but I do my best, so keep on commenting. But right now, let's... Let's keep the ball rolling here on episode 51 and get to some Yankees news regarding what the Yanks did in this year's draft this past week, which began on June 10th and went through June 11th, Wednesday and Thursday of this past week, and then we'll finish off the episode with some MLB news regarding everything that happened this past week between the owners and the players and what the future of baseball could be in 2020 since the picture for it all became much clearer within the last couple of days. But first up comes the Yankees draft and Come Wednesday night, June 10th, came the first round of this year's Major League Baseball draft, and the Yankees had the 28th pick in the first round, which was the second to last in front of the Los Angeles Dodgers, and with the Yankees' first pick in the draft, the 28th overall pick, they selected Austin Wells from Arizona. And right away, they described him as bringing lots of intensity. There were a lot of comparisons personality-wise to Bryce Harper in that sense. He just brings a lot of energy, a very motivated young man. I hope 
hope he's not really similar to Bryce Harper in other senses, but as far as the intensity brought to the game, I hope that he is similar in that sense and just brings a lot of motivation to it because obviously that's what everybody looks for in a player overall, especially a young player. And some fun facts about Austin Wells are as follows. He did become the first first round draft pick out of the University of Arizona since Kevin Newman in 2015. Before attending Arizona, he was a baseball star at Bishop Gorman High School in Las Vegas. He was actually selected previously in the 35th round of the 2018 draft by the Yankees, but he did honor his commitment to Arizona, and now the Yankees have drafted him yet again in 2020. A couple of years later, clearly they did want this guy. And Wells can generate power to all fields generally when he's playing with his simple left-handed swing, and he draws a lot of walks. And of course, being at such a young age, he still has plenty more to learn and plenty of more developing to do as any other young player does at his age. But there are some very promising facts to look at from the young men early on here, and we'll see if he ends up making it in the future. Of course, we wish him the best. And I know a lot of people always say, and they did say it again after this, that the Yankees have drafted so many catchers in the past few years, which they have. It's been no secret. But clearly the Yankees see a lot in this guy, and if he can offer anything to the New York Yankees in the future, obviously it would be more than welcomed. They did say that he could work on his catching defensively a little bit, but of course, the Yankees system has a lot of good catching coaches, ones who have even helped Gary Sanchez improve his defensive game behind the plate, and they could probably do the same for Austin Wells. And of course, the many coaches in the Yankees system could also help him to not strike out as much either, because they did say while he does draw a lot of walks, he also has a tendency to strike out quite a bit. So those are three things we know about him right away, that he can generate power to all fields really with his nice left-handed swing, but he does strike out a bit, but he also does generate a lot of walks, so he gets on base. And of course, getting on base is always welcome. That's what we look at on base percentage is obviously a huge deal, especially to me. And if you can get on base, then that is an automatic plus in my book. And there are plenty of more fun facts about Austin Wells that you can read up on. But there is one more other thing that I saw about Austin Wells that he himself said that really, really got him on my good side right away because I love when young guys take this sort of an approach in their effort to get to the major leagues. And that one other thing that I saw was the fact that he is a catcher, but Austin Wells himself did say despite him being a catcher and the fact that he does want to be a catcher, he said he'd be willing to play whatever position will get him to the majors the quickest. And also overall just play whatever position the Yankees would need him to play whichever one that they are in need to be covered. And he says he'll just do his thing and hit home runs at Yankee Stadium playing any position they need him to. So that's pretty cool. And I really, really love to hear that sort of mentality out of a young player looking to get to the major leagues. Because for me personally as a baseball fan, I don't know how many of you feel this way as well, but versatility means a lot to me in baseball. When somebody can play multiple positions, they can do whatever you need them to do, and they can really just come in clutch in that sense. That is a big deal to me personally. So I love that sort of go-getter attitude that Austin Wells is putting out to us right away. So overall, could the Yankees have drafted somebody else other than another catcher, which again, they've done a lot in the past few recent years? Yeah, they probably could have. Of course they could. But this go-getter attitude out of Austin Wells, his young talent right off the bat, based off of some of the things I already told you, and even based off of more things that are available to read up about him if you want to read up more about Austin Wells on your own, like some of the things he did in college or prior to that and things like that. But with all of that combined and my faith in young guys generally to fix their problems that they need to be fixed before they make it to the major leagues, I think this could end up being a pretty decent pick, especially if he just comes up to the major leagues and plays wherever the Yankees need him to, 
And if he just, as he says, just hits his home runs at Yankee Stadium, plays where they need him to, and does his thing, I don't really see how that could go wrong. I just love the go-getter attitude. I'm a sucker for it. So, of course, we don't know what the future holds for Austin Wells for sure or for most of these guys because a lot of the all-time baseball stars got drafted pretty late in the draft. We know about draft history and how some of that could work out. For sure, not all big stars that have been big stars throughout baseball history were drafted right at the start of the draft. Some of them were drafted way down the line. One example of many could be Albert Pujols. He wasn't drafted until the 13th round in the 1999 draft. So that's my point. You just never know. But we'll see what comes of Austin Wells in the future. As far as the rest of the draft is concerned, the Yankees did surrender their second and their fifth round picks because of their signing of Garrett Cole this past offseason, which I think it's very safe to say that should be worth it, barring absolute disaster, of course. So I didn't really have a big problem with that, obviously. But they did lose their two picks, one in the second round and one in the fifth. But I'll just tell you the other two picks that the Yankees had in the rest of the drafts because they only did have two more, one in the third round and one in the fourth. And in the third round with the 99th overall pick, the Yankees picked Trevor Hover, and he was announced as a second baseman, but he actually played left field for most of his college career. So not really a clear position that he plays at, but he does get on base quite a bit. And he comes out of the University of Arizona State. So that's interesting, and we'll see if the Yankees have much use for him in the future. And in the fourth round with the 129th overall pick, the Yankees picked Beck Way, a right-handed pitcher from Northwest Florida State. And he's described to be an athletic right-hander with good pitches and gets deception from his delivery. So overall, and obviously the Yankees did, again, lose a couple of their picks for signing Garrett Cole, but overall, I think the Yankees made some pretty good picks. I think they did okay. I really don't have a big problem with anything they did for this year's draft, and we shall definitely see what the future has in store for these guys, and they do definitely have some promising qualities about them, and we'll see what the future holds. But as far as the future is concerned, however, another subject in which the future has been uncertain for weeks on end now happens to be the subject of getting baseball back in 2020. With it now being mid-June, with an agreement still yet to be reached. So let's get into this past week's MLB news with everything about the new proposals put forth throughout the week and whether or not we are closer to baseball coming back this year. But we will start by jumping back six days ago to Monday, the day after episode 50 of Yapping Yankees last Sunday. Starting from there all the way to now, six days later, as you'll hear, there have been three proposals this past week two by the league, and one by the MLB Players Association. So the sides have been negotiating, but whether they've made any progress or not is a different story. I'll just breeze through the first two since obviously neither of those were agreed upon by both sides, and then we'll discuss the latest from a couple of days ago on Friday, because that is a very important one, even though it was still rejected like the other two, but because of the fact that it could very well be the last proposal that we will see. And then I'll give my takes on it and the situation where we stand now, and what to likely expect as I've been doing each week, and then we'll end today. So, six days ago on Monday, the league came out with a new proposal, a 76-game proposal, with 75% of the full prorated salaries, up to eight playoff teams per league, and that players deemed high-risk individuals can opt out of the 2020 season and retain their salaries and service time. So honestly, and we'll do some slight math about it later because I don't want to bombard you with too many numbers because I'm not here to make your head spin, but more or less 75% prorated salaries with 76 games, that's still not the full prorated pay that the Players Association really made it clear that they wanted full prorated pay. And honestly, it's 
basically the 50 game proposal with full prorated pay just dressed differently. More games, but taking away a certain percentage of prorated pay. So obviously the Players Association did not accept it and even went as far as saying that they considered it a step back in the negotiations. So that's just great. But let's fast forward one more night to Tuesday, five days ago now, with the Players Association now offering a proposal of their own, another proposal. So this is the second proposal of this past week now and the first from the Players Association from this past week. Because again, that first proposal that I just told you about, the 76 game one, was on behalf of the league. So this proposal now by the Players Association on Tuesday night offered an 89-game season with their desired full prorated pay and expanded playoffs. And as you can imagine, since the league, or should I say the owners, didn't even offer to pay full prorated pay for 76 games, they probably wouldn't do that for 89 games either. And if you thought that like I did, you'd be correct. Because this offer from the Players Association to the owners was soon rejected by the owners. So now you have two rejections inside of two days, basically. And as you can hear from the difference in the amount of games from both sides and their desires with the prorated salaries, they clearly were still nowhere near on the same page and not compromising or finding that middle ground that so many other people outside of these two sides have tried to offer. People like Ken Rosenthal and myself being two of them. Two of many. And then a day later on Wednesday... Commissioner Rob Manfred comes out and announces that there will definitely be baseball in 2020, which of course that was what my poll question was about because shortly after that it followed the fact that if there were definitely to be baseball implemented by Rob Manfred, it would probably be the 48 to 54 game season because the 50 game proposal with full prorated pay was the only proposal on behalf of the owners that offered the players full prorated pay, so that would of course be the one that Manfred goes with. When of course, if greed wasn't the only path taken here, we could have obviously had more games. But at the time, the negotiating time wasn't done yet, and it definitely wasn't yet because then two days later, a couple of days ago from now, on Friday, the league did offer another proposal, which would be the second on behalf of them this past week and the third overall from this past week. This time, a 72-game proposal instead of the prior 76-game proposal. But there's a little bit of a loophole again regarding the money because the owners still didn't agree to pay the full prorated salaries like the players want. Basically, again, more or less, just dressing the 50-game proposal with full prorated salaries differently. But they did get a bit closer than the 76-game proposal from earlier in the week. This time, they said they would earn 80 to 85% of their prorated salaries. So if you do the math, with around 80 to 85% prorated salaries which is a 15 to 20% cut from 100%, obviously, along with the money that the players would already be losing in general because of the lost games due to the virus, they would be making, give or take, probably around 30 to 35% of their overall salary, I'm pretty sure. I'm not here to make your head spin. I don't want to go too crazy with the numbers. And also, if there were no postseason, too, I don't want to forget this. If there were no postseason, it would be 70% prorated salaries because, of course, they don't know what's going to happen with a potential second wave of this virus that could prevent the postseason from happening or being completed. So if that were to happen, no postseason, 70% prorated salaries, which is more or less exactly exactly what the 76 game proposal was like, which would obviously be less than 80 to 85%. Also, the rosters would expand to 30 for the first two weeks, 
28 for the two weeks thereafter, and 26 for the remainder of the season. And each team would keep a group of 60 players to use throughout the season, along with an opt-out option for players if they don't want to risk their health or injury or if they're high risk. And this proposal expires today. So now, this may make you question why they can't just do 100% prorated salaries if they're getting that close within 15 or 20% of it, and my answer for you is that that is not a question for me. That is a question for our wonderful team owners, and obviously I say that as sarcastically as humanly possible when I call them wonderful, but they'll give you the same answer I will. It's about the money. Try not to be too surprised. But another question, which I actually also received from someone on Twitter, is why wouldn't they do 81 games? Again, exactly half a season, as we were talking about before in the poll segment, nice and even when it comes to how many games there are in a normal full season, which, as we all know, again, is 162 games. And again, my answer to you is because of money. Because in this latest proposal, they didn't even offer full prorated salaries for 72 games. So what makes you think they'd offer it for 81 games? And that's why when the players offered their 89-game proposal on Tuesday, desiring full prorated pay, I'm like, what makes you guys think they're going to accept that? if they wouldn't offer it for 76 games? What makes you think they would offer it for 89? And I know it's a part of negotiations, blah, blah, blah. I get it. But you still wonder what would make them accept that? They wouldn't do it for a lower amount of games. So again, if the owners didn't offer the players full prorated salaries for 72 games, there's no real reason to think that they would do it for 81 because that would be even more money and costs for the owners. The more games you have, the more the cost, of course. Also, a bit of it may be because of how much the league has expressed, and we mentioned this last week too and earlier in this episode, that they want the season to end at the end of September as a pandemic-less season usually would, and any postseason that may happen to end in late October as per usual. But don't kid yourself. As we've been saying for weeks on end, this has all just been an argument for pennies on the dollar. My gut reaction to this proposal, the 72-game one, although obviously I was still holding out some hope, at least a little, was that since it still didn't offer 100% prorated salaries to the players, an agreement wouldn't be reached. Because again, as we've said already, the players' union had made their stance on this very clear, that they wouldn't give into the owner's desires and take anything less than 100% prorated salaries. And again, the only proposal by the league thus far that would offer 100% full prorated salaries, as I briefly mentioned earlier, is the 50-game proposal that we already spoke about last week. Perhaps the players could accept if it gets close enough to 100%, like within a couple of percentage points, but then at that point you say, why not just offer the 100%, but the union clearly said that they don't want anything other than full 100% prorated salaries for the players. And shortly after this, too, to make things even better and much more hopeful for the future for the CBA negotiations, and again, I say that as sarcastically as possible, the PA came out saying that they felt bullied by the team owners for years, as it is because of the guidelines for service time, how free agency has been suffering, etc., which has definitely been a problem for some time now. So I'm sure that none of any of this has helped with how much the owners have already painted them in a bad light throughout these very public negotiations. They have definitely made things worse between these two sides who have had tension in the past for other reasons already as it was. So that's just great. So all of these reasons would be why many people don't anticipate on the sides reaching an agreement and why the CBA could be in danger next year too, which we've gone over many times of course. 
We have been over the danger that the CBA may be in because of these negotiations, and it definitely is true that the tensions with the problems in service time, free agency, and so on, problems that, again, have been around in baseball for some time, could make things worse for the CBA. For those who don't know what service time is, it has to do with the amount of time that the teams have control over a player before they can make big money in free agency, more or less. And the teams will literally finagle with a player's career by sending them back down to the minors for a couple of weeks in the beginning of their career maybe, just so they could have more financial control over them for a longer period of time. It has a major effect on when players can begin making a lot more money than they make early in their career. It could take some players years into their career before they make good money. Years. This happened to Chris Bryant of the Cubs back in 2015, actually, I believe, and to many others too. But this happened to Chris Bryant, who's a big name in baseball, of course, when they sent him down to the minors for a couple of weeks just so the Cubs could keep him under team control for more years and save money. And Bryant actually filed a grievance that year, but would lose. And this is what some of the players have been talking about when they say they feel they've been bullied by the team owners for years now. Service time, free agency, etc., as I said. And now, of course, we have the negotiations to bring baseball back for this year. And with how ugly in public that's all been, it surely has helped nothing as far as tension that was already there between the two sides and has now obviously worked worsened as a result of these negotiations. Now, back to this proposal from Friday. It was said that if this proposal was not taken by some point today, and again, we mentioned this possibility last week, then Manfred will enforce a 50-game season with full prorated pay, since again, that's been the only proposal up to this point where the owners have offered to pay the full prorated salaries. And as we've discussed and already know, the owners are the billionaires. They have the money. They're in charge. They have the final say. And what they say goes. That's why that would be the proposal implemented by Manfred, because the players want full prorated salaries, and that's the most amount of games the owners offered in a proposal up to this point that had full prorated pay included. And to me and many others, as I've said, that's a major reason why the owners deserve a great deal of the blame with these negotiations being as miserable and as public as they have been. And we've been over that whole mess, and I've kept you for a long time these last few weeks rehashing it all, which I know you guys enjoy, especially when I've gotten fired up about all of it. But how many times are we going to regurgitate the same things over and over and over? You guys understand the situation, and if you don't, then please be sure to listen back to the prior Yapping Yang episodes having to do with the negotiations all the way up to this one. I think I've done a really good job thoroughly explaining everything. But again, since there was an expiration to this proposal, again, that expiration being today, time was running out to reach an agreement before Manfred enforces the extremely shortened season. They already blew it sky high by not getting an agreement done for the season to start by around or on the 4th of July, which as I mentioned last week too, imagine how cool that would have been to have America's pastime back on the nation's birthday. The unifying force of baseball doing its thing. And I do want to reiterate, I'm not saying it would solve everything going on out in the world right now. It would not. I think we all know that. But it could have been a unifying force for many, in my opinion, as it has been many times in the past throughout tragic times. It's not like there's no evidence to support that claim. It has worked as a unifier in many cases. But again, as we said last week, that's basically out the window. Great job on that, guys. 
Now, fast forward to last night, and again, this was expected because of the players not willing to accept anything under full prorated salaries, but last night, the Players Association officially rejected this 72-game proposal that was given on Friday to them, and they will not counter with another proposal of their own. As I said, this could very well have been the final proposal overall from either side because of this, and now Manfred will probably have to enforce that 48-54 to game season. It's a shame, but that's what happens again when greed reigns superior over everything else. So the picture seems clearer at this point. It would seem right now, unless miraculously, the owners decide to give a single crap about the sport and offer more games with full prorated pay for the players by, like, tomorrow, we're going to have a Manfred-enforced, shortened 50-ish game season. That's what's ahead, guys, because also last night, after rejecting the 72-game proposal, the PA demanded that the league informs them of their plans by tomorrow, by the end of business tomorrow, Monday the 15th. Again, not a surprise because time really has more or less run out. And although that doesn't necessarily mean that this will all be done with tomorrow, it really does seem like the picture has become clearer at this point for it to wrap up sometime soon, with time obviously not on their side. And that plan that the Players Association wants to be informed of by tomorrow is probably going to be the 48-54 to game shortened season enforced by Manfred. And I do want to say again that of course 50 games is better than no games, and it would still be baseball in in these terrible times, so I'll be thrilled to have baseball back regardless, and that's the part of me that is glad we were told we're having baseball regardless this year. Whether it be more games with full prorated pay by the owners or a shortened season enforced by Manfred, it is still baseball. But I also cannot ignore the fact again of how abundantly clear it was made throughout this whole back and forth seminar just how little, if at all, we fans matter to these people. Which I think at this point it's safe to say we either matter very little or not at all. This whole time it's been between these two sides, the owners and the players union. Not once was the third side considered. Who's the third side you may ask? I got the answer for you. Us, the fans, and yes, I can hear it now, oh, you're being selfish, Mike, fine, I guess I am, maybe I am being selfish a bit, but maybe being at least a little selfish sometimes isn't necessarily a bad thing, especially if you know me personally, you know I am not a selfish person at all, so give me a little bit of a break here, huh, but we, the fans, were not considered or thought of. As with everything in life, it was about the money, which again is ironic because we, the fans, are the owner's main source of profit from the TV deals especially to going to the game and spending money on tickets, parking, concessions, merchandise, and so on, and we've been through all of this already. But despite how vital we are in this whole equation as fans, it was only ever about the money, the money that we spend on their product because of our love for the game. The biggest insult of all, if you ask me, and that's the part that has me still at least a little aggravated, and the part that I just cannot seem to look past throughout this whole disaster. I just can't. And I've expressed how much trouble all of that could put the sport in, or maybe not, I'm no fortune teller, but it could. So moral of the story, guys, I'll be alright with 50 games, I guess. I will watch, because it is still baseball regardless, even if it's only a little more than a fourth of a regular 162-game season, and lots of players opt to sit out, or what have you, there will still be baseball on my television, and that much I'm happy about. 
but there is that major part of me that, as I said, will never forget the harsh lesson we have learned, or have been reminded of, depending on who you are throughout this whole thing, and that is that we, the fans, don't matter. No matter how much they say otherwise, because actions speak louder than words, and there was zero compromise for weeks on end. Even each side said that yesterday after the 72-game proposal was rejected by the PA. The league and the owners said the players didn't negotiate in good faith over salary, and the players' union said the owners didn't negotiate in good faith over the length of the season. So basically the money as well. So as if it even needs to be said, only money matters, and that is truly and eternally disappointing for me to face as someone who loves this sport as much as I do. And I'll never forget this or what it could have been if certain people, especially the owners, since you know I've clearly voiced that if I had to take a side here, I took the side of the players for even more reasons beyond just these negotiations that I've spoken about. You'd certainly know that if you've been listening lately. Although the negotiations are enough in itself. But at the end of the day, I'm going to end here again with my middle-of-the-road approach despite me having taken the side of the players, which I still do, I'm going to end with my middle of the road approach. And the middle of the road approach says that neither side was completely free of fault here. And that is true. And I will truly never forget this whole mess. And neither should you with the complete unwillingness of both sides to bite the bullet where necessary and compromise. And what could have been for this year if only these two sides were able to look beyond their greed, both for the sake of the sport and maybe, just maybe, for a second, for the sake of the third side in all of this, us, the main source of profit for both parties involved here, the people, the fans. And all I have to say at this point to the owners and players, since basically everything that there is to be said about this entire thing has been said at one point or another here on this podcast for weeks now, is good luck to the owners and players negotiating the CBA next year. It should be a fantastic time. We'll see if you guys can avoid a strike and prevent putting this sport in even more danger. But going forward though, guys, as far as the rest of the week is concerned, again, since the players are done negotiating and both sides are accusing each other of not negotiating in good faith, we're probably going going to have the 48 to 54 game season enforced by Manfred soon and obviously whatever takes place in this next week we'll be right here next Sunday to talk about it on episode 52 of Yapping Yankees but as for now that is all for episode 51 of Yapping Yankees today one last shout out to team left jab and grunt talks MLB Team Left Jab features Team Left Jab Uncensored and the Team Left Jab United Radio Network. Be sure to go follow Team Left Jab on all social media platforms at Team Left Jab and check out their great sports content across anywhere that you find podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Blog Talk Radio, you name it, the list goes on. Be sure to check out Team Left Jab. And our other shout out goes to Grunt Talks MLB. Visit their website, grunttalksmlb.com, to see all of their baseball content and where they feature Yapping Yankees. Also, be sure to follow the man behind the website, Darren, on Twitter at YankeesReport28. Special thanks to Darren and Grunt Talks MLB, as well as Team Left Jab, for helping spread the word every week about Yapping Yankees. Be sure to follow me on all social media, guys. You can find my Facebook fan page at MikeScuderoNY. You can find me on Twitter at MikeScudero and on Instagram at MikeScudsNY. 
97. And I also don't want to forget to tip my cap as I do every week to you, the listener. Whether you just listen, give feedback on the show, vote or reply in the polls, interact with me personally, support me in the podcast and show love on social media. Whatever it is you do to show your love and support, I tip my cap to you and remind you just how much I appreciate your believing in me every single day. Thank you, guys. I do hope you SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify listeners enjoy it as always, as well as you YouTubers out there. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button on the Yapping Yankees YouTube channel and listen to the past Yapping Yankees episodes. Episodes 34 up to this one, episode 51, are available on YouTube, and episodes 33 all the way back to episode 1 are available on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Once again, thank you 3000 for listening. I'm Mike Scudero and I will talk to you next Sunday, June 21st, when I come at you with episode 52 of Yappin' Yankees. Until next Sunday, hang in there guys, be patient, please stay safe out there, look out for your loved ones, and as I've also been saying, do not be a moron. (laughs) Have a good week guys, I'll talk to you next Sunday. Take care.